0: Welcome to Talking Candidly with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Schoner, and today I will be talking with Bob Krulish. Bob lives with bipolar disorder and is a certified mental health educator and the co author of When Screams Become Whispers, a memoir offering hope to those struggling with bipolar disorder and for their friends and families. Welcome, Bob, to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, first, uh, for those who are not familiar with bipolar disorder, would you mind explaining what it is and when you first got diagnosed?
1: Sure. Um, Bipolar disorder affects a person's moods. They they range. There's two different polarities with bipolar. There's mania and there's depression. With mania, People have grandiose ideas and thoughts about themselves. They have inflated egos, and they have a host of other symptoms that would diagnose them properly with mania. And then depression is just what it is. It's it's the same as um, major depressive disorder, and it is part of bipolar disorder. So a person may be having episodes and either mania, or in depression, or they may be what they call euthymic, where they're not having any episodes at all, or they may even be having mixed episodes, where they have a little bit of both, both mania and depression.
0: I would think that it's a pretty thing, pretty difficult to diagnose. Were you diagnosed by a psychologist, and did they think it was something else
1: at first? You know, at, well, I became symptomatic when I was 16 years old, but, uh, and I had a lot of symptoms, and I had a lot of episodes throughout life, um, but it wasn't until I was 51 years old, 35 years later, that I got properly diagnosed by a psychiatrist after seeing a psychologist about my divorce and I saw the psychologist for a couple of months, and she suspected I might have bipolar disorder. At that point, I was still in a manic episode, so I didn't think she was right. Mm, yeah, I thought she was wrong. I was right. And we argued about it, and then we made a bet. And I really went to the doctor just to win the bet. <laughs> Interesting.
0: I'm curious, because bipolar disorder, from what I understand, is frequently inherited um, and mm-hmm. is the most likely psychiatric disorder to be passed down from a family member. Do yeah. you know if either of your parents or anybody else in your family has bipolar disorder?
1: You know, I I never really thought too much about it until I wrote my book, uh, When Screams Become Whispers, and in that book, I really started to talk about my early childhood and what my dad did uh, to my family and it really started to dawn on me that he had all the symptoms so i believe that he had bipolar disorder my mom had major major depressive disorder so i had the genetic you know propensity for this illness for sure
0: well that sounds familiar because uh, my father Back in the day, they didn't diagnose, I think, people with bipolar disorder, but he certainly exhibited the symptoms. And my mother had major anxiety disorder. Um, mm-hmm. So you said yeah. that it finally came up and you got diagnosed in your 50s after going through a divorce. Was yeah. that divorce a result of your mood swings? I mean, I know I, I don't want to simplify it or, or anything like that, but was that part of the problem?
1: Sure. Yes, I think that was. The overarching problem. I had um, many smaller manic episodes throughout our marriage. I was married for almost twenty five years. And towards the end, in the last three years of our marriage, I was working on a very stressful project at work and and I got uh, I had a lot of anxiety. And so my doctor, my general practitioner, put me on an antidepressant, anti-anxiety med. Well, unfortunately, what she didn't realize was that I had bipolar disorder. When when somebody with bipolar gets uh, on an antidepressant and they don't have a mood stabilizer along with it, it causes them to go into mania. Especially somebody with bipolar type one, like I have. So for the last three years of our marriage, I rode a pretty high manic episode where I lost uh, my job, and um, and then subsequently my marriage, and and a whole host of other things. Well, basically everything I had at the time I lost.
0: What was that? What was the career that you were involved in?
1: I was a senior product manager. I, I had, uh, my roots were in mathematics and actuarial work. And then I was working on a very large project for a major insurance company out here in the Pacific Northwest. And, um, and, and I was doing superhero type work because I was manic and I had just tremendous amount of energy and, um, and drive uh, and the mania was more like hypomania hyper at the time where it was still not debilitating, but eventually it became so and I eventually lost that job.
0: So just to share a little bit more with the audience and I'm also very curious. So you ran these, these high, these mania, very high energy Did I assume it affected your sleep? You probably weren't sleeping much.
1: I was hardly sleeping. I and and it was suiting. The work I was doing required us to work about till midnight every night. And we started about six or seven a.m. We're in a real time crunch with this company was in real dire straits. And um, it just really fed my mania. Um, So, yes, you're right. In mania, you hardly need sleep. I've gone four or five days without it, for example.
0: I mean, that's got to mess with your mind and it's got to affect your personality and it's got to obviously affect your work. So did you get fired because you did something dramatically wrong in the project or they just were confused with your moods?
1: You know, I did everything right in the project. What ended up happening was that... Um, we had uh, done a lot of great significant work around growing the company and then and then we wanted to kind of change gears towards more of a management of of our of our product and um and i got disappointed in that and i would call out the president of the company in large groups of gatherings
0: now i'm seeing the picture
1: yeah <laughs> you can see where you meet hr pretty quickly when you do something like that.
0: So it obviously affects your social responses or your appropriate behavior in a group setting.
1: It, it definitely does. You just start to feel superior. You're in mania, you, you know, in, in, in its worst kind, you believe that you are smarter, more capable, more powerful than anybody else on the planet. And so you have a difficult time taking direction from anybody or being very collaborative with others. You, you, you just basically think it's, you're right. Everybody else is wrong. And that's what I was doing at work. And I was calling out my boss and, and his boss, the president of the company saying that they were wrong and I was right in front of large groups. So, yeah, it was completely inappropriate behavior. And and that, that bled over into my marriage and to all of my friends as well. How were you able to... Obviously, you were in a very successful position,
0: which required yeah. you a great number of years of working. How did you hide your bipolar disorder
1: symptoms at work? Or did you not? You know, they when they manifested themselves they were more in the hypo hypermanic which is a lower grade of mania where people have just tremendous amount of creativity energy drive um they're very very smart and and highly functional and highly capable it's when it crosses the line from this milder form of Mania to the major form of mania, where it becomes, um, uh, uh, you know, a problem for everybody around you. So, I I had more hypomanic or minor manic episodes throughout the course of my illness until this final gigantic one hit me. Yeah,
0: so I'm getting. That was one of my questions, and I'm guessing this is sort of, you know when the divorce happened or your wife asked for divorce, was that the most difficult time in your life or sort of the low point?
1: It was the lowest point for me. Um, And and, in, in, in a weird way, first you have to remember that I was extremely manic while I was getting divorced. So I just laughed in her face (laughs) and just thought you are missing out. I'm going to be building an empire here. I signed away Um, all my wealth. I, I I said, you can have everything. And, um, I took a few thousand dollars with me, but we were, you know, really well to do. And I signed away what probably was several million dollars or more at the time. And I just said, you know, you're just going to regret this. I, you know, I had just all this grandiose ideas and thoughts about myself. Um, And then, then it hit me. Then when I realized that I was on that medication and I realized that that medication was causing me to be manic and I got off of that medication, then I hit rock bottom. Then I did go into a major depressive state and I looked around and I realized I don't have the yachts that I thought I was going to have. I don't have the wealth that I thought I was going to have. I I lost my children in the divorce, I lost custody, I lost companionship, I lost um, the ability to be with them, um, and, and I found myself on the floor of an old abandoned cabin that a friend of a friend of a friend had out in the woods, uh, sleeping on the floor of this abandoned cabin and living that way for a couple of years all by myself. And at that, I guess at that point you weren't working? that point was the lowest point of my life and no i was not working i was um and i had i i was basically churches were helping me i was living off of government assistance with my medication i had this place that had running water thank goodness and um and uh people feeding me and um Very few visitors came by. It was a very, very difficult time.
0: Was that when you, I know you were prescribed, as you say, some medication, obviously not the appropriate medication. Um, Did you continue to go to therapy or see a psychiatrist or a psychologist?
1: I did, at that point, I was um, still seeing the psychologist, Churches were paying for that as well for me, and then I got diagnosed properly, and then I got on medication all while I was in the cabin, Um, but I first got diagnosed um, towards the end of, this is all in 2009. In um, January 2009, I was kind of left the house and was kicked out of the house, and, and it wasn't until August or so that I got diagnosed properly. At that point, I was given just a handful of medication and uh, a really grim diagnosis. You know, my, my doctor told me, he said I would be, you know, living a, a life of, uh, you know, real hardship if I didn't follow his orders and take these medications.
0: And so many people out there... Um... Frown upon medication and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of a firm believer in better living through legal chemistry. We'll say, Mm -hmm. um, I myself take medication for anxiety. Okay. Um, how did, how did you become to accept the medication and why did you write the book and when did you start to write the book?
1: Yeah, the medication, um, You know, the the doctor gave me some scary scenarios. You know, he said, listen, I have clients in several places. I have them. They're homeless because they don't take their meds. They're in jail. They're in the hospital or they're in the grave. And if you don't take your meds, you'll be in one of those four. I can guarantee it. If you take your meds, there's a likelihood that you'll get companionship with your children again. You'll get to work again. You'll have a relationship with somebody you love again and things will happen uh, for you in your life. And I took him at his word. A lot of people have a hard time with that. And I, I don't know why I didn't either. I mean, I'm not exceptional. I just for some reason he scared me enough. And and I got um, and I saw that by doing that, things started to come around for me over time. I met somebody And um, I was able to get remarried and uh, move out of the cabin and then uh, get back into my career work uh, after uh, several years of being gone from the career work that I did before. And things started to get better. And so I stayed on my meds. And did the first, I know that a lot of people take their different medications out
0: there. Did the first medication work and how did you feel? after taking it for whatever period of time before you notice the results?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, that first set of meds, he handed me four prescriptions and he said, um, he, he said, uh, let's see if these work. And I thought, that's a terrible, <laughs> I, <laughs> I said, agree. I said, let me see if you're a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Are you serious? (laughs) Really? And then, um, and, and when he gave me was four meds that were pretty high doses. So I called it the, um, you know, the zombie effect. And so I was zombified for uh, almost a good year of being really, uh, really highly medicated, um, So I didn't get much, much done uh, in the way of uh, understanding meds or doing anything about them. Now I've been, I'm really well educated in the meds and I tweak my meds quite a bit. I've probably gone through 60 different med changes in the past 13 years, but most of them are good, just like reducing And, 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 and then sometimes I just adapt to a med and it's no longer effective. So I need to change it up, but it took a while. It took a long time, probably about three or four years before I really found a good, a good cocktail, as they call it, you know, this combination of meds. And, um,
0: I know that you're certified by the mental health, several organizations, NAMI for one. Is mm-hmm. that where you became more educated about medications?
1: Through certification? Yeah. Yeah, through through the NAMI organization, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, I I started to attend their group meetings and I got to know people that also were had a had a mental health condition like I did, a mental illness, and and I started to learn from them. And then I started to get involved in their speaking program called Inner Own Voice. And I would learn more by speaking with others. And then I put myself through a, a pretty rigorous course of study. Uh, I, I was just damned and determined. I said to myself, I got to get my kids back. I got to get my life back. I want my life back. And I and I just truly believe that my the route To getting my life back was properly treating this thing and managing this beast and so i really was very um very deliberate in my approach
0: so what is your relationship now with your your ex-wife
1: and your kids if i can ask well uh, that uh, the first my first wife the mother of my children we we've never talked really besides through uh, attorneys I'm sorry. In the, yeah in the more than a decade now that we've been apart and um, I'm happy to say that with two of my children of my four that things are very very good and and with two uh, the other two they're a bit estranged um, they 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 unfortunately got the The worst part of the of the episodes and um and and you know sometimes and I don't I'm not upset with them I I mean I'm upset that we're not close but sometimes you know a child you know bonds more with one parent over the other in divorce and um and they they have a great relationship with their mother and and um and unfortunately I just don't I don't get to talk to them very much do you um, but, know if you're the kids that you're close to the two?
0: If they read your book and what they think about it?
1: I know they have not, and um, they they don't want to either, and um, and that's fine with me. Um, it's 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 really interesting to see the effect it's had on their life, and that. Um, you know, one of my children once said to me, Dad, you know, we don't want to hear about you and what you do um, because of what you did. You know, Interesting. and I'm like, OK, that's fair. You know, that's fair. You know. Well,
0: obviously, you offer a lot of insight into bipolar disorder, family dynamics, relationship with children, what it's like to be the parent. So you do these
1: workshops, correct? I do. I do these workshops. They're called LEAP for Listen, Empathize, Agree, and Partner, and and I'm I'm certified by a doctor Javier Amador who wrote the book. I'm not sick. I don't need help. I don't need help. I'm not sick, and um and and so I do these leap workshops for mostly for parents. I would say that ninety eight percent of the people that come are parents. And I do these workshops a couple of times a month, um, and it's a three hour workshop that I do. That's hosted by a NAMI uh, local affiliate somewhere in the country, and um, and and it teaches parents uh, communication. A, 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 a series of communication skills on how to, how to successfully communicate with somebody, a loved one, a son or a daughter in my case, because I work mostly with parents, an adult son or daughter that's suffering from a mental illness.
0: Well, that's fabulous. I'm sure that those are very helpful courses to take. Um, so I'm going to go back to the book a, a second because, A, mm-hmm. I love your sense of humor. And I love the title <laughs> of the book. So tell me, tell me how that all came about.
1: Well, um, it's kind of like how my coaching business came about. I started speaking for NAMI and I've given about uh, 80 or 90 talks now for that organization. And, and invariably, a parent would come up to me and, and ask me for advice. And so that started a coaching business. And and that's what I do now. And then it became apparent that people would say, you know, uh, your story that I just listened to you give your speech and your story is really moving and it's inspiring. You should write a book. So I I, I had a lot of shoulds. You should coach and then you should write a book from a lot of parents that I met by speaking. And so that was the uh, motivation to write the book. Uh, which I did. Uh, we, we had gotten it written several years ago, a couple of years ago, and it was finally released last year. And you have a co-author
0: on the book. You said we, correct?
1: Yeah. Um, I so what I did is I I looked to a, for a company that can help me with a ghostwriter and uh, was really pleased with the ghostwriter that they gave me. Uh, they gave me some, several people with different samples of their work. And this one person's work was all about, all the samples were about bipolar disorder. And I said, my gosh, this girl, this person really understands bipolar disorder and, and is a phenomenal writer. And uh, lo and behold, I find out that she uh, has uh, bipolar disorder herself. So my ghostwriter who I unghosted, it's like, <laughs> I like I like to call it unghosting. Uh, for the first time in her career, she's been unghosted, and uh, also Ali Anderson also has a bipolar disorder, and she just did a terrific job of writing my memoir for me.
0: Well, that was very serendipitous. Um, who came up with the name? When you screams know- become whispers, I'm just adding that out loud.
1: Yeah, when screams become whispers. You know, she did, and 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 the way that came about was she was like, you know, because we we sat in a room and she interviewed me for um, let's see, eight different days, two different trips, four days a week, about eight hours a day. So we're in the room for about sixty hours or so, and she's like, you know, you, you talk so quietly, you're, 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 you're so calm, you, you, you almost like a whisper. And she goes, and you used to scream all the time when you were manic. And then she said, when did the screams become like whispers?
0: <laughs> Interesting. That's, that's a great story behind the story. Um, <laughs> it I, is. I unfortunately have not had a chance to read the book and I'm very much looking forward to reading it. I think it will be quite educational um and since the podcast is all about educating others uh, what advice would you give to anyone whether it's a parent or a child who is struggling with either depression or mania or any other mental health
1: illness my biggest um thing i would say to anybody struggling is that they're they're um you know, to, to hold on to the hope that, that you can be better. I really believe that everybody can be better. Uh, I believe in the therapeutic, you know, medical model, but I do believe people can be better even without it, um, that they just have to find the appropriate coping skills. And in my case, and I think in most people's case, the the right uh, combination of medication and therapy, but I, I I I honestly believe that just everybody not everybody I know some some sometimes this is so far out of reach for some people and it breaks my heart to even think about it, but for for the majority for the large majority ninety percent I bet or more could find you know you, if you find the right treatment you find the right coping skills. You can live really a really good life i really I really hope if anybody's listening to this and is wondering about that, I really hope that they're hearing me and saying, yes, you can, yes, you can
0: as you say it in a very soft whispery voice um, <laughs> do you know when I, I'm going to ask this question when that came about? did you ever notice that you had the tonal change in your voice
1: um <clears throat> You know, it was as I became more, you know, after coaching hundreds of hours, parents, you know, and and, and, um, and, and just feeling the sadness and the struggle, you know, really has, you yeah. know, really toned my, myself down quite a bit. You know, I, I really approached this with some solemnness. That probably is part of my calmness. Well, I'm glad,
0: I'm happy to hear that you, your life is going great, that you found somebody else to love. You're in a fantastic relationship. Sounds like you're doing well all around. Um, We've got about a minute and a half left, and I know you're working on a new project that you are kind of stoked about. So, do you want to share that with me?
1: Well, I do. I do the coaching work. We do these leap workshops that people can find out about on my website at Um, Just go to the events tab and you can sign up. They're all free. And I'd love, I'd love for anybody to join me on those. And um, and then um, later this year, we're putting all the work that I do with my parents with my coaching program on video. So a video course will be available to make, uh, make, make it possible for me to even help uh, a lot more people than I'm able to help right now.
0: Well, you're helping a lot of people by being on this podcast. And I personally well, appreciate you so your, your time and, and openness, as we like to say, candid around here. And I um, <laughs> just want to remind our audience that every cloud has a silver lining. And once again, thank you to our guest, Bob Krulish, for a great conversation today.
1: Thank you.